You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue here in our Happy Valley headquarters. We've got Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan still out in Indianapolis. They were all on the scene uh, for Wednesday's coverage of Penn State. A couple James Franklin trips to the podium. Three Penn State players out there the evening before on Tuesday. Athletic Director Pat Kraft met with media for the first time in a while. And there's a lot happening in college football, a lot happening with Penn State specifically as well. So a ton to catch up on. And we'll go right to Lucas Oil Stadium right now with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can see there in the background, the stadium is looming large. Penn State hopes to get back there in early December for the Big Ten Championship game. A lot of teams out there this week want to get to that game and punch their ticket for a college football playoff appearance, perhaps. And Daniel, Mark, welcome back on board the podcast and appreciate the coverage you both have provided since landing out in Indianapolis on Tuesday. Yeah, it's a great event. Great to be here. One of the really cool things, Tyler, that we're able to do is connect with all the 24-7 sports people from from the network, from different sites. So that part of it has been very, very cool. But obviously a lot of stuff going down the last couple of days and great to be here on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium. It's You know, I may run 40 just to prove, you know, that if the combine rolls around and they need me to get down here, uh, I can I can run a 40, but uh, maybe not then. We may have a lot of Penn State guys to cover at that combine next year, just getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. And Daniel, well, we had Olu. Some- I got a good photo of Olu down on the field in advance. So I took a photo of Olu with the, with the Lucas Oil Stadium thing in the back, knowing that he's going to be a dude here, you know, next, what yeah. is it, February, whenever the hell the combine is? Right. Yeah. He's going to be one of those headliners we expect. And uh, Daniel, we, we pulled you right out from your vacation and sent you out to Indy. And, and we just there's no rest around here. Right back to work. And uh, look, you were churning out the articles on Thursday on Wednesday, I should say, as things were coming out and into Thursday morning. We appreciate that, as always. Uh, you were also on the microphone early on in James Franklin's press conference and we'll start here because we have a lot of competitions to discuss across this roster we'll we'll cover a few of them during our conversation with you guys in Indianapolis but Daniel you brought up the quarterback spot and I think a lot of folks nationally certainly plenty of Penn State fans think this is a done deal they thought it was a done deal maybe they missed the announcement but there has not been an announcement of who quarterback one is yet and you asked James Franklin what's it going to take to get there what did you hear back yeah, I, I think that some of the people that I was talking to afterwards uh, were a little surprised by that because, you know, especially within our network, everyone knows who Drew Aller is. He was 24-7 sports' number one quarterback in the class of 2022. And we saw him make those cameos last year. I think that nationally, he's really regarded as a name to know. So I think it surprised some people, but yeah, I thought it was interesting that James Franklin brought it up, you know, that He's, that they're in the competition phase right now. So I figured it was worth following up that 
you know, what's it going to take? Um, and I thought that he gave a, a pretty in, insightful answer. Um, that was pretty interesting when talking about, um, you know, going with your gut instinct and then also trying to square that with the data that you're getting, you know, going through, um, you know, the analytics and the statistics. Um, so it, it's interesting. You know, I think, uh, you know, James Franklin was quick to correct me because he said that there's a quarterback competition every year, um, which, you know, I think the past couple of years, you know, from our perspective, it might not have necessarily been, but it is the first year without an incumbent. So it is a little bit of a, a new landscape for, for Penn State. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, they're at least publicly, they're going to give Bo Perbula the, you know, make it seem like he has a chance to, to compete, to do some things, which, um, you know, is their right. But you know, I think that Drew Aller is really approaching things like, you know, he is the starter. He's going to be there week one, which is what you would want to see uh, in a competition. So, you know, James Franklin said the sooner the better. He didn't lock himself into a particular timeline. Um, but I think that'll be something that, you know, as we get through camp, as we get closer to September 2nd, when is that announcement going to come? When are they going to lock it in? When are they really going to start to, you know, ramp things up with Drew Aller as the number one um, or Bo Perbula? Um, however, this, this shakes out in James Franklin's eyes. I don't have the calendar in front of me, guys, but whatever that Wednesday is that precedes uh, the the first game week practice, so the final week of, of preseason camp, so that puts us into the August 20s, that's the last media availability before we get into a game week, and if we don't have an answer by then, I will be surprised. It may take until then to get a public answer, but look, the way that this team is being billed by the programs and, and the broadcast networks that are going to be broadcasting Penn State's game and the way that Penn State is internally through their social media and, and what have you promoting number 15 right now, you can kind of see how this is going to end, but you understand why he handles it this way. And James Franklin uh, alluding to the fact that they consider every job up for competition in his answer to you. I don't think any of us viewed Taquan Roberson versus Sean Clifford as a storyline in August of 2021, but I understand why he tries to direct uh, the train that way each and every year as he's putting this roster on the field come August. And, and Mark, generally speaking, when we talk about Drew Aller, what were you hearing among Penn State players? You got a longer conversation with James Franklin later on, on Wednesday afternoon, which was helpful for some context, a little more clarity on some things. What's the buzz around him right now as he gets set to return to the practice field? Yeah, one thing I just want to let people know is the Wi-Fi here is really bad. So if we lag a little bit, just be patient. It will catch up. So we're going to be okay. I actually have a router right next to me. Daniel doesn't. Uh, but so just be patient. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the talk about Drew Aller is it has nothing to do with his physical ability. I mean, every time Franklin talks about him, what does he say? He's six foot five, 245 pounds. You know, he can run. He can do this. It's about leadership. And, you know, the one thing that 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 he's going to have to do is st step up as a leader. Olu Fashinu was one of the players here, you know, projected high first round draft pick. And I think we saw in the spring the way he emerged. He's been emerging as a leader. And I was able to ask Olu about the incident in the blue-white game where Amari Evans was uh, flagged for celebrating a touchdown. And Olu actually went down and talked to him and about those leadership skills. Well, we know that's going to come from guys like Olu, guys who have been around for a while. But by nature, the quarterback has to be a leader. And that's really, to me, when you look at, at, at where Drew Aller is, He's got a what, what should be the best offensive line. And I know we've said this in the past, 
but it should be the best offensive line of the James Frank, Franklin era. You know, a lot of talent, deep. Outsta- two outstanding running backs. Outstanding tight ends who I think are being undervalued on the national level. And I think the receivers are going to end up being better than some people think. He's got all of the pieces around him to allow a young quarterback to succeed. But what is it all going to come down to? It's going to come down to when they're in, in, in a tight game and he has to step into that huddle, how is he going to handle it? You know, one of the things I'm getting from other reporters out here from, from, from other schools, well, if Aller's that good, why didn't he start last year? And I said, you know, they went 10-2 and two with Clifford. And you guys know I was one that after they lost those two games, I was like, give Aller a shot. And I proved to be wrong because Clifford was able to bring them back. I don't think they would have been better than 10-2 and two with Drew Aller. And I think long-term, that ended up being a better situation from Drew, for Drew Aller because he was able to learn all those leadership things from Clifford. So to me, and that's what the players are talking about, about how this guy's carrying himself. Now, it's fine that you're carrying yourself that way in practice, but how is he going to do a game? And I think what, you know, I, I, I'm teasing, we're going to get to some unanswered questions. To me, that's the unanswered question is when when push comes to shove, how is Drew Aller going to handle himself in tight games? My suspicion is he's going to do really well, but we don't know for sure. They want uh, 11 games. Uh, Sean Clifford produced a, a career best season, a career best game to really finish it off in the Rose Bowl. We've never seen him play sharper than that. And along the way, you had Drew play as much as any freshman quarterback has since Christian Hackenberg in 2013 so it proved to be a really good balance there was a lot of criticism along the way and 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 some hindsight 2020 and plenty of it came from this podcast in October and into November but I think when you reevaluate it it now and and so did I and and I don't think Daniel did it all Daniel was always uh, online with with Penn State strategy but uh we we thought you know you, you look at it now and we have a lot of distance from that season and James Franklin, Mike Yurcich, the plan worked. And now you want to see the next phase of it, which is Drew Aller emerging as a player who has the experience in that back pocket and wasn't shell-shocked at an early age like some of these quarterbacks are who get to college campuses. And so that'll be a pretty fascinating aspect. Let me ask you this. Daniel, you have a good feel for for where the leadership is in this locker room, how it's training. We know three captains at this point. I'd expect Five more captains. We've seen this team have six. We've seen them have eight. Do you think Drew Aller, assuming he's named the starting quarterback, and we are assuming that, is going to be a captain? Because we saw Sean Clifford as a redshirt sophomore become a captain before that first career start as as QB1. So I think, you know, when you eye up guys, it wouldn't surprise me if in year two he ends up getting that label before he, you know, takes that first start. Putting the cart before the the horse here, but it was something that kind of popped up in my mind a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that would be a really interesting little kind of wrinkle on things um, because, but I think that this, this is a very prime opportunity for someone like Aller to really step up into this type of leadership role. You know, we've talked ad nauseum about the leadership that they lost. Um, you know, Sean Clifford is a big presence to replace. J.R. Brown is a big presence to replace. Jonathan Sutherland was a, a four-year, four-time team captain. Um, you know, that, that's a lot. Um, and we've heard a lot about how this year the leadership is probably going to be different, that it'll be, I think, a little bit more diffused between, you know, multiple more guys um, in terms of stepping up and leading their position groups. But I think that Aller is in a, a good position to really kind of assert himself um, as a leader. 
Um, I think that's very clear that he has the respect of his teammates. Um, even you know, hearing Keaton Ellis get asked about uh, Drew Aller yesterday, um, you can tell that he has a lot of respect, and that's one of the captains who's already been named. You know, a fifth-year state college guy who's been around, played a lot of football. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, you know, talking to Drew two weeks ago um, at the the charity event with Tony the Tiger um, at Giant, uh, you, he, he's really carrying himself. Uh, you know, like a number one quarterback. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that there's any doubt in his mind that he is going to be the starter against West Virginia. Um, he's really taking that approach. That's what you want to see. Uh, and I think that that will really show in his leadership, you know, with those wide receivers, getting on the same page as them, with the tight ends, with his offensive line. Um, I think he's in a position to really, really um, be able to assert himself right now. And, you know, I, you know, honestly, until you brought it up, I hadn't entertained the idea. Um, of Aller mm-hmm. being a, a team captain. I was, you know, looking more, you know, maybe Theo Johnson as that second um, offensive captain. But, you know, I think that as Penn State turns forward, you know, away from, you know, the, the Clifford era uh, into, you know, this window that they're in right now um, and what they could potentially accomplish, I think that that could be a really, really interesting uh, little wrinkle for Penn State. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, if you're hearing some chatter in the background, Media Day is still going on. We actually just had Matt Rule walk by Mark Brennan right before we sat down to record. They, they said hello to each other. Mark, of course, covered him as a Penn Stater. But uh, just in case, you know, put, putting it out there, they are in the middle of a, a Media Day circus. And, and we We're on Radio Row, Tyler, and that makes it us. worse. We're on Radio Row, oh, so it's like all these loud people place. try to be as loud as they could possibly be. <laughs> but everybody's having fun, and we all, we're all getting along. So it's just part of the ambiance here you know i did want to mention the greatest thing i saw yesterday if you look at daniel look at that giant screen behind him and that thing is like as big as like seven houses and when franklin was yelling at him yesterday daniel was up on that screen it was tremendous (laughs) and i'm kidding he wasn't he wasn't really yelling at him but if you look at our photo gallery i put that one in there just to have a a little bit of fun but I, i gotta tell you this is such a cool event you know, and, and just because you, you brought up hearing the people in the background, but you could see people walking behind us. And like right over here is are the podiums where the players uh, do their individual things. So it's a really cool situation. It's really fun to be here. And I know I went off on a tangent there, but I thought when you talked about the Radio Row stuff, uh, that would make it a little interesting. No, it's, it's cool. And, and I just want to quickly, because I don't want to shortchange some of the other guys who, who could carry that captaincy. Um, yeah. Aside from Drew Aller, I, I, Theo Johnson came to mind. I do wonder if because of the offseason, you know, off-field situation, can James will James Franklin follow through with that? Could that kind of get in the way of him being a captain one way or the other? I don't know. But but that, that that's in play, at least. And then the other name is Keandre Lambert-Smith. I mean, right. everything we've heard about him since the day the offseason started is he has – bought in and then some and he's always at the facilities and it seems like that has sustained months and months and months so he's the other guy where if you're looking for for where captain material there's plenty of guys with captain material but i think drew aller theo johnson and keandre lambert smith when you look at who else on offense could get that uh you know that label this year i think that's where i tend to look uh mark going back to before we get to some individual players going back to that james franklin uh podium session yesterday around noon and then the follow-up which came up a, a couple hours later um 
what what ultimately were you kind of taking away? What did you feel like was fresh to you? Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has been rehashed. A lot of the same talking points that we've heard from James Franklin going back to you know last winter even, and it's on a national stage. You understand why that's the case, but. Looking a little bit more closer, our, our listeners, our audience, they know what's going on at Penn State day to day. What was some fresh content that you feel like you came out of those conversations with? Yeah, one of the funny things about Franklin is sometimes he'll, he'll suggest he's not going to answer a question, and then he answers it. And I, I asked him about the timing of his NIL comments. So for people who, don't, who may have been on vacation or, or weren't paying attention closely, you know, he comes out of that craziness of June – and then in early July, goes on the Adam Brenneman podcast. Adam was here, by the way, as well, uh, and says, you know, Penn State's two years behind on the NIL front. And then obviously Franklin and the staff put out a bunch of tweets kind of encouraging Penn State fans, the 700 million or whatever it is, to, uh, you know, to start, to, to start supporting NIL. Uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, that's essentially what he said. And what I wanted to know was, you know, why pick that timing? You know, it's like, I know, you know, part of it, and we discussed it on the pod last week, is that June is such a grind with official visits and camps and, and players enrolling uh, that, you know, there's so much going on. Uh, but he said, what, first of all, he said, you know, there are sometimes reporters ask good questions that I can't really answer. And then he proceeded to answer it by saying the two collectives came together, so he thought it was a good time. And he, he did something which I thought was really smart is he applauded Pat Kraft for the work that he's doing. One thing I've been critical of Pat about is that I don't think he's been vocal enough about NIL. And he's starting to be now. But I, I kind of understand now why he wasn't because you had, you know, these two different collectives and you don't, you don't want to insult anybody because if you insult one side – you know, you, you may be turning off people who want to donate or if you insult the other, it's the same sort of thing. And I think Franklin understands that. And I think Kraft understands that. And now that they're together under Happy Valley United, it, it's something that he was able to speak out about. And, and I thought that I think that's really important. I mean, you know, the, when, when he put out his tweet in early July, the thing that jumped out to me and I forget the gentleman's name, but one of the first person who replied you know, basically said, James, I'd love to help, but I don't know how NIL works. And I, I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, how could you be this far in and you have a longtime fan not understanding what NIL is about? And so that's where I think it's just vital that they're able to get that message out there. And people may say, hey, Brennan, you're asking a lot of questions about NIL. I'm just telling you, if they don't get this together and do it the right way, you are going to have problems competing at the highest level. And so I think he wanted to shock people a little bit. He didn't say that. But, but I, I think, you know, he wanted people to realize, listen, people have to get it, get it together and get going. So for, yeah. for me, when I heard what he said last year, I put, or last, yesterday, uh, he, again, it, it's pretty funny because – most people say Franklin ducks questions or whatever. If you ask a good question, he may say he's not going to answer, but, but he's going to give you an answer. He, he will attempt to give you an answer. If you're professional and courteous and ask a, a question, and I'm not saying that's what I am all the time, but if you ask a question the right way, he's going to at least try to give you an answer. And he did that, and I thought it was a pretty good answer. So that, I know that was long-winded, but I, I think it was really important. 
Well, there's so much going on with it, and, and we'd spent a lot of time last week. We had Adiza Isaac and Denai Dennis Sutton previewing the event that actually takes place tonight. We're recording on a Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening. James Franklin was in, in Indy uh, giving uh, speeches on Wednesday, and now he's going to be at the Jersey Shore on Thursday talking about NIL and trying to raise funds. And, you know, it's been a lot of it between the lines, Mark, but now not so much between the lines. The big concern here, the flags that are being raised isn't about – Penn State being able to go out and sign a great freshman class for 2024. It's about Penn State being able to retain their 2023 stars right. and make sure they don't end up with other Power 5 play players in 2024 finishing out their career elsewhere. And I think that's kind of a paradigm shift where a lot of people are focused in on the prism of what's happening in the recruiting world versus roster retention. And Penn State's in a good plot, spot. They're in an enviable spot in the scope of the college football universe but if you want to be in that small cluster that competes for national championships on a perennial level, you really can't afford to slip up in these next two to three years and, and maybe even a shorter period than that. Yeah, well, we were bombarded by information, and, and it's real yesterday. I mean, it's really – it's kind of an overwhelming thing as a reporter in a good way because it's good for content and whatnot. But I, it, it almost – I didn't realize till I went back and posted the video last night that at the end of his comments, Franklin said, you know, there were other schools approaching our players last year, you know, for, for, uh, to come in and we'll give you, you'll get this on an NIL front. Now, obviously he didn't name names, but you know, that's, he's not saying that I take the man at his word. I really do that, 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 that happened. And if that's happening again, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier if you are not on par with where you need to be in the NIL space, uh, you better get there pretty fast. And then there was there were good follow-up questions, too, about the topic. I'm sorry, I got a, something flying in front of me here. Uh, but that, to me, Tyler and, and Daniel, you know, it, that kind of, kind of stuck out to me. And we can get into it a little bit later about what Pat Kraft had to say about it on, what was it, Tuesday? I'm losing track of my days. Uh, yes. But from that availability, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk we'll talk craft in just a bit here. But Daniel, going back to, to the Franklin commentary from yesterday, uh, you were in front and center for a lot of it. Uh, you wrote up uh, kind of your strong takeaways. You had a couple side pieces. One was about the quarterback spot, another about the special teams competition, and that's a bit of a can of worms right now when you review the whole roster and and we talk about how it's as deep as it's been in all these different areas. And there's this emerging five star talent in exciting different spots, and then you say, oh yeah you got to replace all the starters on special teams. And when you're talking about having no room for error, if you want to get to the college football playoff, because it's still only four teams and one loss could doom you and two losses almost certainly dooms you, man, this could make or break the team. Definitely. Uh, it, it's something that whenever I write about special teams, I, I kind of you know, try to frame it as that, you know, when you're at this level, you know, games are decided at the margins, you know, when you're competing for a big 10 championship, when you're competing for a national championship, things are, you know, you can't afford to give up, you know, a point here on a missed extra point, you know, three points here on a missed field goal, uh, you know, a bad punt that leads to good field position for a field goal, even if the defense is playing well, you know, you go back to that uh, 2021 season where there was some inconsistency, especially when it came to the kicking game um, at times. And, you know, Penn State, I think seven of those games were decided by single digits. And down the stretch of the season, they're on the wrong side of those. Um, so I, I think that special teams is something that, you know, you kind of have to remind yourself um, at times that 
it's something you need to pay attention to. But, you know, Franklin didn't really get into the particulars of the battles. Um, you know, he did say that he felt that, you know, Penn State needed competition at kicker and punter, which is why they brought in Alex Falcons from Columbia um, and then Riley Thompson from Florida Atlantic. You know, he said that they felt good about what they had at long snapper because they had three long snappers. Um, but you've got three long snappers, uh, four punters, two kickers. And then out of that, you also need to find um, a kickoff specialist. You know, we saw Gabe Wosu uh, and Sanders Sahadak both get a chance to do that last year uh, before Jake Pinniger kind of took that on uh, down the stretch of the season. So uh, I think that special teams is something that, uh, you know, I always say it's not the sexiest thing to talk about, you know, especially when you've got position battles, you know, with so much talent at safety, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going to happen at defensive tackle where you have so many bodies. But I think that you really do have to come back, you know, to special teams, to that, to that unit uh, under Stacey Collins. Uh, you know, what is that going to look like? Um, and, you know, James Franklin said that, you know, it's almost easier sometimes to determine those position battles because, you know, they have all the data from all the kicks. He said there's not as much nuance uh, when it comes to picking, you know, a winning kicker. It's kind of like who's making all of his kicks and then you go from there. Um, so it'll be, it'll be fun to watch that. You know, it's something that, you know, I keep having to remind myself as we, as we go, are going through the roster. Um, but I think it's going to be really interesting, and I'm curious to see how much they really break it down into these roles um, as we've seen them do in the past because they have so many options. And, you know, I think outside of long snapper, I, I think Tyler Duzanski has the edge there. But outside of long snapper, I mean, it's a really blank slate for them. So I'm really curious to see what this looks like, you know, how they get there and, and how this shakes out ahead of September 2nd. So much to figure out with these, with these new starters and new roles on special teams. And, and it's an aspect of the game where because these guys are, are so individually spotlighted during, during the matchup, if it's not ready to roll September 2nd, we're probably going to figure it out pretty fast. Whether it's a punt return that gets botched, a punt that gets messed up, a, 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 the snap, the hold. So many things that you need precise. And, and they've had precision in a lot of these spots for years now. Punter, they've had a really strong run for, for years and years, a few different punters, um, you know, and, and Jake Pinniger finishing his career on a higher note than, than where it went for, for, for some of that time uh, you know, last year. Not a guy you could really take for granted with what he did as kickoffs as well. So a lot to look at there. I'm going to throw it right back to you, Daniel, though, because wide receiver is another area where the competition figures to last deep in August, probably beyond August. Um, look, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Harrison Wallace established as – guys who had locked in themselves as top targets for Drew Aller in this offense by the time spring camp rolled uh, rolled up to a close. Uh, then you had Omari Evans, who made a late surge, carried that momentum into the summer, built on it. Caden uh, Saunders made moves during the second season on campus. You've got a guy like Liam Clifford, year three on campus. Their returns have been favorable. So there are so many names in the mix. I'm, I'm curious, coming out of this event, Anything nudging in any directions in terms of what's happening at that spot, or is that just something we're going to have to all follow up on at media day? I, I think that the the real wild card with that group is Dante Cephas. You know what he is able to do, how he shakes how he shakes up that group. Um, you know, in terms of where he falls on the depth chart. Um, you know, James Franklin. You know, he still he leaned on the talking point that he's done since the end of spring, where through spring, where. You know, he felt really good about the top two, which is Keandre Lambert-Smith and Harrison Wallace. And then there was a question mark at number three. You know, Amari Evans put himself in that conversation a little bit. 
uh, with how he performed and closed in the spring. But I think that James Franklin wants to see that continue through the summer. And, you know, a guy like Liam Clifford is someone who kind of keeps popping up, you know, the more that we talk to people. Drew Aller was really complimentary of him. Um, you know, Marcus Hagens was complimentary of him back in June. Um, you know, Caden Saunders is someone I'm excited to see, you know, what he's been able to do, how he's able to transform his body uh, to be able to contend and potentially make an impact. Um, and Franklin, you know, I think last year at the beginning of the season, you know, he came out and was excited about that wide receiver group. You know, he said that he felt like they had a solid two deep across the board. Um, I think as the season bore out, we didn't necessarily see that in the way that we thought we might. Um, but I think that, you know, he kind of inched towards that again uh, yesterday. You know, he said that he's, you know, starting to look more, you know, beyond the top three. He's trying to figure out what that two deep looks like, you know, how those things shake out. And then the other wild card in here is the is the tight end group. You know, James yeah. Franklin, you know, there was a good follow-up asked where, you know, will you play more two tight end sets if you can't find a very solid third wide receiver? Um, and he said, he said, yeah, that, you know, there's no hesitation to do more 12 personnel. Um, you know, we saw them put three tight ends out there uh, at times with all of them, you know, lined up split out wide. You know, I think he, he really likes that tight end room. This is the, the third year in a row that he, I think this year he didn't say it was the best in the country, uh, which he did last year. And Georgia fans were very quick to correct me. Um, on he said it's as good as that. it's been, though. He says yeah, he said so, yesterday it's as good as it's been. So so he, he kept it within the context of uh, of his program this time. So you know I think that he's in. A, I think the tight end group. You know with what Theo Johnson's able to do. Um, Khalil Dinkins uh, is someone who got brought up yesterday. Tyler Warren is someone who came up. You know there is going to be some good flexibility. You know for Penn State. You know if they can't find that third wide receiver. Of course I think if you're James Franklin. You want to find three tight ends. You want to have you want to have three wide receivers. You want to be able to go too deep, uh, you know, across those three spots. But it's going to be an interesting com uh, competition. I think Dante Cephas can really shake it up um, a little bit and really firm up the numbers there, along with Liam Clifford um, and potentially Caden Saunders, Omari Evans, how they come along. So yeah, we'll we'll see. It's going to be a fun battle. Yeah, two more names and two big bodies in that passing game. You may have mentioned him, but I may have missed it. Malik McLean, uh, the Florida State transfer, who now has those spring practices under his belt, six foot four frame, was working his way within this offense, trying to find that footing. Curious to see how that materialized with the uh, you know uh, the, the work with his quarterbacks and his receivers away from the coaching staff this summer, and, and how he hits the ground running in August. And then uh, the guy that I said was my probable number one pick uh, at, at, at recess among this freshman class, Andrew Rappelier. Uh, I don't know what you're trying to show us, Mark. Uh, this guy's posing for photos, players. I think they may be the Michigan guys, and it's Harbaugh's podium behind me. Uh, uh, so he's on the other side of, of that. So I'm just so we're going to have let people. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really tempted to unplug this and walk around. I mean, it would freak people out probably. We're, there's a Should lot going that? on around here. We're, we're, no, don't there's do it. We're going to ask because don't risk the Wi Fi. I'm loss. doing it. Yeah. I'm doing uh, it. Okay. Whatever you no, want to no, do. No, no. I'm, uh, I'm joking. Gonna, Hey, one We're going to get a broadcast of Jim Harbaugh in the background of this podcast. Yeah, one thing I wanted to uh, – and, and I should have mentioned this earlier, that I had the opportunity uh, to sit in with Josh Pate uh, for, for 247 Sports and CBS Digital. Uh, he had a one-on-one -on -one interview with Franklin, and I was able to be in there um, 
shooting photos. And I don't want to give away everything that, that Franklin said, but as you guys know, you know, to me, Josh Pate is as good an interviewer as there is, if not the best interviewer. This guy is just absolutely terrific. And one thing that, that, that Franklin said to him, and again, I'm not giving away everything that Franklin said there because I'm sure we'll have video up on the site, uh, is that he feels very fortunate with the stability they have at their coordinator spots. You know, with Yursich, you have Diaz back. And then going back to the special teams comments before, Stacy Collins has now been in the program for, for several years. So having that sort of stability, he really spoke up about having Diaz, who's a former head coach, you know, that, that, that all has been very good. And the general lack of turnover with the coaching staff, you know, the people that he's been able to have around for a lot of years, you know, not as much turnover as there was in a few previous years uh, has been very good. So that was one thing. Uh, I'm sure when Josh gets that video posted, people will want to see it because, uh, again, you know, just a terrific interviewer, and he had a great one-on-one -on -one interview with Franklin. There's some really good stuff from it. And, and look, there's two new position coaches. Uh, that, that's not a lot of turnover in today's modern college football, one, yeah. of, which was your, one of which is your decision. You decide to, 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 to tell Taylor Stubblefield it's time to part ways, and then you bring in a guy who's essentially family with one of your position coaches and Anthony Poindexter. Uh, so there's already a lot of familiarity there for Marcus Hagans at the wide receiver position. And the other, which is not your decision, you, you lose John Scott to the NFL – and you replace him with someone who's been inside your facility for a couple seasons already. So that, that's about as good as it gets in college football in terms of bringing back a staff and, and establishing yourself and evolving within a uh, one-year span. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Daniel, going back to the individual focus here, Olu Fashionu, a headliner at yesterday's event, one of those preseason uh, honorees yesterday that they announced at the Big Ten Media Days each year. Um, we were wondering how he would do with that spotlight on him. It's not necessarily to his nature. What did you guys encounter with big number 74? Yeah, I think it was the, the same old Olu uh, every, you know, every year. Um, he was getting a lot of questions about that Ohio State game last year. Um, and how what JT Tuamalu did, you know, against Penn State, and you know, he handled those very well. Um, you know, was very, you know, kind of worked through that. Um, but I think the one thing that just always stands out about him, um, you know, every time I see him now is just how big he is. Um, you know, I feel like every time we see him, he looks larger uh, than the last time. You know, James Franklin said that uh, Olu has put on twenty pounds. Um, I think he was listed at 308 last year. The most recent roster update, he was listed at 319. 
So, you know, who knows what he was walking around that yesterday um, in a, you know, very nice suit. Um, but, you know, Franklin said he added that weight, but he was also able to improve his testing numbers, you know, his 40 time, you know, the, the various, you know, jumping uh, drills that they do. Um, so I'm really curious to see what that looks like um, on the field, you know, because it, it is kind of crazy. Like we still have such a small sample size with him. Mm. You know, we have only seen him do nine starts. You know, one of those was in the Outback Bowl where, you know, I don't want to speak for you guys, but that game, I don't remember much of it just because it was at the end of the year. I think we very were much kind of... felt like an exhibition felt like an exhibition. If ever, if ever a bowl game did. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I think that, and so you really drill down and you have eight games um, of Olu uh, to, to really go off of. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of really high expectations for him. You know, he could have been the number one offensive tackle last year. He might be the number one offensive tackle this year. You know, who knows what that means in terms of overall draft status. Um, you know, I think that he's someone that, there's a lot of curiosity about as well, you know, because he wasn't a five-star who comes in um, and is a, a household name, you know, on the recruiting trail from day one. So, you know, there is, you know, more eyes than I think we've probably ever seen on Olu. Um, I thought that he really acquitted himself well. Uh, you know, he's very genial, very thoughtful. Um, I think this is the type of environment that he can kind of show, uh, you know, that he is a potential star, um, you know, both in terms of personality um, and also with what he's able to do on the field. It's year four for him with Penn State, but he's only 20 years old. I know people were like rock last year when everyone kept saying he's 19, he's 19. Well, he's only 20 and 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 got to campus at what, 16 years old and are just going on to 17. It's just a unique situation. And uh, man, you would just wonder, he could be in an NFL training camp right now, but for his longevity in this career and really what he could accomplish, it makes a lot of sense for him to be back at Penn state and going through this, I think, and, and putting himself in an even better spot come next draft. And as a better offensive lineman with more seasoning, we'll have a lot of time to talk about Olu Fashionu in the coming months, but Mark, another guy who I think, you know, certainly wouldn't be surprised if he's named the captain in August is Adiza Isaac. We had yeah. him on the podcast last Tuesday. Uh, so don't want to cover as much ground with Adiza because he did it for himself here just a week ago. Uh, but those conversations uh, with him, and I think just generally Mark, he may be a little bit slept on because you can go through some of those flashier names, even at the own position, the, the recent five-star addition with Deny Dennis Sutton, the guy that everyone's talking about as a first-round pick next year in Chop Robinson, and then you work your way yeah. to the defense. Adisa's been here for a while. We started to get a glimpse at what he is starting to evolve to in the last month or so of last year. It feels like there's a launch pad there for him. Yeah, I, I you know, I think he finally got back to about 100%, like maybe midway through last season. You could tell early in the year that he wasn't quite there after, was it the Achilles that he that he hurt the previous year? Yeah, torn Achilles uh, two years ago now, yeah. Yeah, and, but, and a torn Achilles for a, a gifted athlete like that, you know, that a guy who depends on his explosiveness. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he is one of the guys nationally who's being – uh, slept on a little bit. I think he he's he has run uh, very well. And a, apart from that end of it, you mentioned about him. You know, would we be surprised if he's named the captain? No, not at all. I mean, people who saw the pod last week can see the way the guy carries himself. Uh, as Daniel said, Olu was terrific here. Keaton Ellis was terrific here, and Adisa was uh, really good as well. You know, you 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 get all sorts of questions. 
at these sorts of things and to be able to answer them all intelligently isn't, you know, I can't imagine that's the easiest thing because you don't know what you're going to get hit with. I mean, I asked him specifically, you know, I said, everybody knows about Olu at left tackle. You know, what can you tell us about right tackle? And he's extremely high on Drew Shelton. Uh, Talked about just the development uh, that, that, that he made last year. And then talked about Caden Walls as one of the guys who came in with him and is kind of grinding away and, you know, what that may be like. So I, did you post that or did you write that story yet or did you post it? But that's going to be. Yeah. On the, we'll have a on story the right up tackle. on the, yeah, we'll have a right tackle competition story up on, on lines 24 seven on Thursday. So yeah. playing off of some of what Adiza said and, and also just yeah, some but, of what we've heard this summer. But the yeah. point being, he's like, he, he's sitting there at the podium and he doesn't know he's going to get asked about the, the right tackle. You know what I mean? And uh, obviously just handled it effortlessly. So I would really look out that whole defensive end group, Tyler and, and Daniel. I mean, that they, that, group is going to do some damage and i think one of the reasons is because they are so deep that they're not going to have to play all these guys 60 snaps a game or whatever it was i know you're the snap counter but you know i think they're they're going to be able to be fresh at the end of games and be able to do a lot of damage I think so too. And that, that adds up when you have this kind of talent on the edge and James Franklin keeps talking about what they can do at that position this season. And, and those two players that I've done a sudden Adiza Isaac on the podcast last week. And I know that they've kind of doubled down on that this week, a little bit Adiza out at big 10 media days, but Amin Vanover, Zariah Fisher. I mean, they can't say enough about what those two veterans have done. Zariah Fisher working back from an injury in his own right last year. And then Amin Vanover kind of quietly going about his business as a rotational piece on the defensive front last year maybe taken for granted a bit but by the general Penn State fan, maybe by us as well, but a lot to appreciate about that unit. And then you had a story on Keaton Ellis, uh, Daniel, and I know Mark spent some time discussing Keaton Ellis uh, when we previewed Big Ten Media Days last week. Uh, the hometown kid, he could ride his bicycle to Beaver Stadium for games, and now here he is, year five on campus, taking advantage of that COVID eligibility, a team captain and a returning starter at safety. Yeah, Keaton reminds me a little bit of Jair Brown last year, you know, when when Tig was here. And you could really tell what it meant to him um, and to his story and, you know, having this accomplishment um, in terms of, you know, on his football resume. And, you know, I think it was something similar for for Keaton Ellis, where he said it was an honor to to be here in Indianapolis representing Penn State. And he talked about learning that he was a team captain um, and just how honored he felt. Um, and what that really meant to him as someone who grew up in State College as a, you know, as, as a lifelong Penn State fan. Um, you know, he talked about telling his dad uh, that he was named a team captain. And he said it was just a very, very emotional moment, uh, you know, for his family. Um, you know, he was asked about, you know, the community around him. Uh, and he talked about how much he appreciates, you know, State College, Penn State, you know, being kind of part of the fabric and knowing people that are going to be there to support him. Um, so I thought it was something really cool for Keaton Ellis to, to be here, um, you know, to be able to represent Penn State, to be that team captain. Um, and then he's kind of got to make it work on the field now. And that's something that James Franklin brought up, you know, when he was asked about Keaton and trying to replace Jair Brown. You know, he talked about when Keaton Ellis was a high school recruit. You know, he's one of the t- in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, he played wide receiver and cornerback at State High. Uh, and was a big-time playmaker. And James Franklin said that those playmaking skills haven't really been there for Keaton Ellis these 
these first couple of years. I know he did have a handful of forced fumbles um, as a freshman in 2019, but he talks about how Jair Brown was someone who the ball just kind of found him, that it didn't matter if he was playing center field. It didn't matter if he was rushing the quarterback. It didn't matter if he was making a play downfield. He was able to, to get to the ball, get it out, make a game-changing play. You know, and James Franklin thinks Keaton Ellis can be that type of player. He just hasn't seen it yet. But as it goes through the spring um, and into the summer, yeah, I think Franklin said that he's really been able to to see what Keaton Ellis you know, can do in terms of making those types of plays. So I think it would be curious to see how this works. You know, Anthony Poindexter also had really good things to say um, about Keaton Ellis when we talked last month, uh, and it kind of echoed what James Franklin said. You know, in terms of getting the comfort at the position and now being able to make more plays. Um, but yeah, I think Keaton Ellis is going to be a really important player this year, both in terms of the, the on-field product with the defense, but also in terms of leadership, being more vocal and, and making you know happen on that end. Yeah, safety is a pretty fascinating spot. They've got four guys back who have played significant football. You've got these freshmen who that uh, we like a lot and they think highly of in King Mack and Dakari Nelson. Um, last year, there was such a separation. Jair Brown and the rest of the group, you wonder, is it more of a, a cluster of, of, of guys at the end of the day when it comes to those snap counts versus someone separating them, themselves? But right now, already named a captain, uh, Keaton Nelson, a good spot to maybe play a bigger role on this defense than what people maybe had him pegged for coming out of the 20. 22 season especially with that depth at safety guys uh let, let's finish off the penn state stuff here with some pat craft conversation you guys got him before franklin and the players tuesday evening fortunately your flights came through you got out of philly you got to indianapolis and you were there for pat crafts uh for, for pat craft uh mark i know you were pretty anxiously awaiting this opportunity because it had been a while and college football has moved fast in a hurry what do you make of what you heard from Pat Kraft? What did you get out of it? And, and where are you still left maybe scratching your head a little bit? Yeah, I'll, I'll just circle back to the NIL discussion that we were having. You know, I, I asked him about James Franklin's comments uh, earlier in the month. And, and did he kind of view it the, the same way a lot of us did as kind of a, I didn't say this, but, you know, a kick in the rear end for people to, to, to kind of understand what's going on. And, uh, you know, he sort of talked around it, but, you know, I will give him this again. I, I just go back to, they were in a position where they had two different collectives and we know that there was some infighting, you know, some sniping between people. And that was a, that was a minefield that they had to work their way through. And it's as an athletic director, you're limited in what you can do because you're not running these collectives. Somebody else has to. You're not allowed to. You're, you're, not, you're not dictating every single thing. Uh, so to, to be able to ultimately see the two collectives come together, I think had to be just a huge sigh of relief to him. But now I just think it's incumbent on him to make sure that that message, that you don't have people saying to James Franklin, you know, coach, I want to help on the NIL front, but what is NIL? You know, that, that's unacceptable. That can't happen. And, and, and I, again, I get why they were at where they were at. And you can't come in as an AD and fix everything in one year. So they got the two collectives together. And I think now it's incumbent on Pat to make sure that people understand how important, number one, what NIL is. 
If you're a Penn State fan and don't know what NIL is, Penn State is not doing its job. It needs to be able to get that message out there. And I think he can effectively deliver that message now that those two things are together. So to me, again, I know I I harp and harp on this NIL, but I I am telling you guys, if they don't get it all together here, I mean, it's, it's vital. It is absolutely vital because other schools have their act together and are able to leverage these things. So, so that was, was the first thing, uh, you know, the, the Beaver stadium, uh, where, where kind of that is, I think I like what I'm hearing from Pat Kraft about Beaver stadium much more than what we heard from Sandy Barber. Cause Sandy Barber, it was always smoke and mirrors, you know, Oh, we, we're going to do this whenever we're going to do this. He's actually looking, giving us some, some, concrete literally and figuratively uh you know info on on kind of timelines and not absolutely specific but like realistically you can see things uh that could happen and you know i asked him about the beer sales and he brought up something that i i never even considered even though sometimes i have to run down into the stadium at halftime to get to photo cards and stuff, which is neither here nor to there. Get a but beer. Any fan, to get a beer, right? Yeah, to, to go get a yeah. I, I wish I could get about ten beers during some of those games, but uh, yeah, the 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 ability to navigate in that stadium, like during a game, is absolutely atrocious. And he said they actually had to cut off beer sales at points because the lines for the restrooms were like interfering with the beer lines. And I'm thinking, well, they probably could have had one line. You just go get a beer and then go straight to the restroom and then go back to your seat. But seriously, little things like that. Like, so when you talk about improving Beaver stadium, the fact that he's thinking about those things that matter to the fans, the fact that he's thinking about improving Wi-Fi, you know, those are the little things that I think a good athletic director really has to pay attention to. And I think now that he's kind of unencumbered by this, the, the, the collectives, now that that's, and we'll see if it's been solved. I think it's been solved. But now that that's been solved, you know, I think you have kind of a mover and shaker who can get things going. And, but let's see, uh, you know, again, now, now it's time for you to step up, Pat Kraft. Let's see how you do. All right. Well, Mark, you just mentioned the stadium Wi-Fi for Beaver Stadium. Lucas uh, Oil Stadium Wi-Fi is, is we're just hanging on. We're, we're trying to get to the finish line here, so I won't tempt fate too much. Let's let's close with a couple questions here to each of you. We'll start with Daniel. Uh, Daniel, any sights, sounds, takeaways from the couple days you spent in Indy that, that we didn't hit that you can talk about on the podcast? I know you saw a lot in Indy, but that you can actually discuss with us um, and and and. and any unanswered question that really stands out? We've got a couple weeks till that preseason media day uh, back over in Beaver Stadium when we get rolling with our coverage in August. Uh, but between now and then, what's kind of lingering out of this event? Yeah, I, I think you know, one thing that that I I think there's a lot of excitement and respect, you know, for Drew Aller. Um, I think that that's something that you know, in terms of you know everyone that we've talked to, you know. People within the 24-7 sports network, people that I know who cover other teams, um, you know, I think the fact that James Franklin didn't outright say that Drew Aller is going to be starting week one, I think that surprised a lot of people. I think that there's really a lot of excitement um, about him. I think overall, I just think that Penn State is in a really good position. Um, I talked to Michael Robinson, you know, the former Penn State quarterback who is going to be part of NBC Sports's pregame coverage um, of college football. And he is very, very excited 
Um, you know, he talked about, um, you know, being able to, to see this program be at this point. Um, the fact he's excited to be close to it, to help broadcast it. Um, I, there's an interesting nugget from him um, where he went to uh, Verona High School in Richmond. He corrected me on the pronunciation. Um, I got that one wrong when I asked him. But, you know, Penn, Penn State has two players uh, on that on that roster from that high school on the roster in Kavion Keys and Alonzo Ford, um, the old Dominion transfer. And he said that Alonzo Ford was actually uh, someone who was in a program that he ran um, at his high school, um, you know, for, you know, to help kids achieve, to, you know, really put kids on the right path and to see Ford come out of that program um, and then end up at Penn State. I think that was something that was really special to him. He said that he has a good relationship with Drew Aller, um, and they, they've talked about what it means to be a Penn State quarterback, um, you know, to go through that. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then on the recruiting trail, um, there's one little nugget that got passed along to me where, you know, Ethan Grunkemeyer, we all saw the highlights of what he did um, at that seven-on-seven uh, tournament at Ohio State. It was a great highlight tape. You know, I was talking to a couple people who were there um, and saw it. They were really impressed, uh, and it turns out that, you know, Ohio State came away from it with a lot of respect, you know, for Grunkemeyer. Um, you know, obviously they're set at quarterback, uh, you know, the level that they recruit at. Um, but, you know, it does seem like that Grunkemeyer is someone whose profile is really, really rising right now. Um, and that it seems like Penn State could be in position for, you know, twice in three cycles to really get a really, really good solid quarterback, uh, you know, out of Ohio. Daniel serving up the good stuff. He has a lot more for you at lines247.com. Your Wi-Fi held up throughout that entire answer, so that's good stuff. You're done. We appreciate that. Stand by for, for us to finish here with Mark Brennan. Uh, Mark, a lot of good stuff there from, from Daniel. What, what are the observations that that, that you kind of you – know, we didn't cover here maybe in the first 50 minutes of the show that you just think are worth emptying the notebook a bit here before you maybe forget about them on your flight home and return trip? Yeah, I mean, un unanswered question, right tackle – I, whatever Franklin says, we know who the quarterback's going to be. And I, I like as you said earlier, Tyler, I understand why he's doing it. I mean, because you, you just don't anoint somebody. But we know the quarterback's going to be Drew Aller. But I think the question on this team is going to be who that right tackle is. You know, it's funny how nobody's saying that there's a competition at left tackle. There's a competition at every position, right? Not left tackle. Not quarterback right now because we know who the quarterback's going to be. And that's not a knock on Bo Prabula. I mean, he's in there competing. I know he's doing it. Uh, but I think that right tackle to, to see who ultimately emerges is the question on this team, along with the special teams uh, that you talked about. The question that I've gotten from everybody here, national people, you know, people from different schools, is this the year for Penn State? And Michael Robinson said it when Daniel was there. It's going to be for this to be the year for Penn State. They got to beat at least one of two teams, right? <laughs> They have to get over the hump that they've been able to get over that they've been unable to get over so many times in beating Michigan and or Ohio State when those programs are operating at an elite level. And both of them are operating at an elite level now. So we can talk about preseason. We can talk about everything. But it's going to boil down to those two games, in my view, uh, for Penn State. Also, I wanted to throw out something. Uh, Michael Robinson this guy is a star in the making, okay? He was great as a player at Penn State in his final year, struggled a little bit early, uh, then had a nice NFL career, 
and then went to the NFL Network and has done a lot of different media things. And now he is getting a shot at NBC. And I had a chance to just BS with him because we're kind of friends. And he's like, man, this is the big one. This is the big one. You know, and he, I think he's a little bit nervous. I said, dude, you have this. He could do that. He could have done this when he was a player. And I'm just telling people, you know, Todd Blackledge is going to do the, the, the uh, uh, color commentary for NBC. And, but everybody knows about Todd Blackledge. He's an established guy. I am just telling Penn State fans, if you loved Michael Robinson as a player and he was kind of in a niche on the NFL network that if you're a real hardcore NFL fan, you knew what he was about in terms of analysis and stuff, watch for Michael Robinson. He's going to be a star. It was fun seeing him out here, and I think he's going to do an absolutely spectacular job for NBC. So I'm really looking forward to that. It was good to catch up with him, and it was good to catch up with all the people out here Again, the question for Penn that everybody's asking about Penn State, is this the year? How talented are they? Yeah, they're super talented. They're as deep as they've been, but you got to win at least one of those two games or none of it means anything, right? I mean, that's the position that we're at. You got past the two losing seasons. You got back on track next year. Now this is the year to prove that you're able to take that next step. You have your coordinators have been around. There's stability in the staff. You have talent everywhere. This is the year to take that step, and if they don't, it's good. I think I think it's fair to say now, and I'll say it that it will be a disappointment if they're not able to win at least one of those two games. James Franklin, uh, like a lot of coaches, goes out to this event and talks about chasing championships every year. Some years it feels a little bit more legitimate than others. I don't know if it's ever felt quite as legitimate as it does now. Maybe back in 2017 after they won the Big Ten title, but it feels like it's there for them. And you're right. That means the bar is raised. 11 wins last year, 11-2 and two finish, a New Year's Six Bowl. That was beyond expectations. Uh, different storyline to play out here in the coming months. We'll be back out on the field in just a couple weeks for preseason camp. But first, we've got a busy weekend of recruiting coverage. We've got prospect camp on Friday. We've got the Lash Bash on Saturday. We'll talk to these guys next week. You see Mark making his way around Lucas Oil Stadium now, giving you the grand tour on YouTube. Daniel, Mark, appreciate it. You guys get home safe on Friday and uh, great coverage from Big Ten Media Days. All right, later. Uh, we'll be back with Lions 24-7 podcast. A couple episodes coming your way next week. A lot of coverage between now and then over at Lions247.com. New recruiting rankings dropped today for the 2025 cycle. That means Penn State commits now have new rankings. That means a bunch of prospects across the region that the Nittany Lions are well-established with now have rankings as well. Check out our coverage of those at Lions247.com along with the prospect camp, the final elite showcase prospect camp of the summer for Penn State on Friday afternoon. We'll have live updates throughout for VIP subscribers. Hop on board. If you're not a VIP subscriber, 30% off an annual deal or $1 for one month. We'll talk to you real soon uh, right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll talk to you a lot sooner over at Lions247.com. Stepping aside for now, I'm Tyler Donahue.